to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. today to just turn to the Word of God for a little bit. We've turned our offices into a studio, and I'm so grateful for our awesome production team that's made this set so that we can still preach the Word of God, still uh, share a time of worship together. And uh, so we're going to open up our, our Bibles now, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible and uh, turn with me to the book of Mark, the book of Mark chapter 11. And uh, today, for those of you who don't know, today is a special day because it is Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of uh, what is often called Holy Week because we prepare for Easter. And I'm so excited that we're going to have a great Easter service online next week. And so this is a great opportunity to be thinking of who you can invite digitally. We'll be sharing some information. And of course, you can use the links to the pages that you're watching on right now. Uh, but we want to take a moment just to, to read this story, and I feel the Lord's put something on my heart today. And uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes today, you can just write on your paper, A Tale of Two Kings. I'm calling this message A Tale of Two Kings. And uh, Mark chapter 11, and I want to read verses 1 to 10 this morning. And it says this, Mark chapter 11, verse 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany... At the Mount of Olives, he sent his two disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, what are you doing? Uh, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches or palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, which means set us free. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This is a, a passage of scripture that probably for most of us we're familiar with. It, it's a passage of scripture, a story that typically we read at least once a year on this Sunday, on Palm Sunday, a story that maybe you were familiar with as a kid. Maybe you had a coloring page of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and people waving palm branches and, and a royal parade, so to speak, for Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, ultimately leading to the cross and the resurrection that we celebrate next week. And so you're probably familiar with this story and probably familiar with the, the Jesus parade that we've just read about. But there was actually another parade that was happening on that day in Jerusalem. And the Bible doesn't 
record the story of it, but history tells us the story of another parade that happened that day in Jerusalem. It wasn't the Jesus parade, it was the Roman parade. The Roman parade happened across town from this parade with Jesus that we just read about. And in the Roman parade, the Roman governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, every year at Passover would lead his army into Jerusalem. Passover was the celebration of God delivering his people out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, which was a wonderful celebration for the Jewish people, but not so much for the current uh, oppressor over God's people. And so every year, Pilate would, would lead a parade into Jerusalem to demonstrate the might of Rome to all that were in Jerusalem and all of the Jewish people, that, that you can have your parade, you can celebrate your freedom and your faith, but just don't get carried away and don't think about rising up. Don't think about revolting against me. And the whole parade was designated to just, just say to everyone in Jerusalem from Pilate, I'm in control. The, the, the parade was a, a military parade that was full of all of the might, the military might of Rome, like we may be familiar with the military dictators parade today. It was full of all the Roman regalia, all of the, the signs of the power of Rome. First, the infantry marching in the ground, no doubt shaking under their synchronized march. And then the cavalry and the chariots riding in, in this display of might and strength and power and control. And at the end of the parade was the, the final exclamation point on the statement as Pilate rode in on a war horse, a, a white stallion, a symbol, the ultimate symbol of power, of control, of strength, and of, of military might. And history records this parade of Rome, and it's against that backdrop that we find Jesus's parade in such stark contrast. You see, Pilate rode in on a war horse, but Jesus rode in on a donkey, a donkey was not a sign of, uh, of strength. It was not a military, uh, a military animal. It was a beast of burden. It was a symbol of, uh, of servitude. And Jesus was saying in stark contrast to the picture of Rome that he came not to be served but to serve. He came in humility as a servant not only did he demonstrate that he came as a servant, but Jesus also came from the east. He came through what history tells us is the sheep gate. Pilate came through the west. Pilate came from the royal palace in Caesarea, and he marched in from the west as a picture of might and strength. But Jesus didn't come from the west. Jesus came from the east. And he entered in through the sheep gate. And it was through the sheep gate that just earlier that day, all of, the, all of the Jewish shepherds would have brought in their lambs, brought in their sheep to be the Passover sacrificial lamb. And Jesus now is entering in the sheep gate as a demonstration not, that not only did he come 
as a servant, but he came as a sacrifice, as a sacrifice for mankind, as the sacrifice that would atone for our sin, that he would shed his blood, give his life so that we could have life. And so Jesus came not on a, don- or not on a, a, a stallion or a war horse. He came on a donkey to show that he was a servant. He came through the sheep gate to show that he was a sacrifice. And, and Jesus didn't come with the, the celebration of the Roman Empire. He came, the Bible says, weeping. He came not only as a servant and not only as a sacrifice, but he also came sorrowful. Sorrowful. You see, Jesus was identifying with the brokenness of humanity. He was identifying with the pain and the oppression and the suffering of humanity. What a wonderful reminder it is that regardless of what circumstances we find ourselves in today, that our God is not the God that sits distant in a royal palace. He's not the God that sits on a stallion that is far removed from people. He's a God that comes on a donkey because he came to serve. He came through the sheep gate because he came as a sacrifice. And he came weeping because he came to identify and ultimately to to, uh, solve the sorrow of the sin of mankind. What What a wonderful picture it is. And so I tell you that today to draw the contrast between the way of Rome, the way of uh, of might, the way of power, the way of, uh, of outward strength and control, and the way of Jesus, the way of serving, the way of sacrifice, the way of, of sorrow. And the fact is that uh, there, there are really two ways for every single one of us to live our lives. We can live the way of Rome, or we can live the way of Jesus. We can live the way of power, the way of might, the way of, uh, of white-knuckling everything in life just to demonstrate that we are in control, or we can live that humble, serving, sacrificial life of Jesus. And perhaps if there's been anything that we have seen and that we have learned through this crisis that we are in, it is this, that we are not in control We are not in control. And the reality is that if you were an onlooker that day, looking on on these two parades, undoubtedly you would have thought that Rome was the eternal kingdom, that Rome was the the one that would be the ultimate victor. But today the reality is that there is no Roman Empire There is no Pontius Pilate. There is no Caesar. But there is a name that still endures above every other name. And it is the name of Jesus. And today around the world, and and especially next week around the world, hundreds of millions of people will gather together to celebrate the ultimate victory that was won, not through military might, not through control, but through serving and through sacrificial giving. And so I want to encourage you today is we find ourselves in this moment not to live the way of Rome, the way that is consumed with self, the way that is is self-serving, that is self-promoting, 
that, that seeks to control others, but to live the way of Jesus that is sacrificial, that is serving, that identifies with the pain, the suffering of humanity. And the reality is that within every single one of us, there is a little bit of Rome in us. If we put our faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the life of Jesus. But the reality is that every single one of us has two kingdoms at war within us, the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of this world, the, the way of Jesus and the way of Rome, so to speak, or as the Apostle Paul calls it, the flesh and the spirit. And just as Rome's military might seem to be stronger, uh, the reality is that the way of the flesh sometimes seems like the best way to go. Look out for yourself, defend yourself, control circumstances for your own good. But ultimately, it's the way of Jesus, the way of the Spirit that is eternal. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh... According to the, that self-promoting way, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And so even as we find ourselves in this moment where we may be tempted to fall into the way of Rome, I want to encourage you today to live the way of Jesus, to live not giving into the flesh, but giving into the spirit. When everybody else is looking out for their own interest, there's so many people are, we want to look out not just for our interests, we want to look out for the interests of others. When others seek to manage the perceptions of people, we want to not try to live for our own glory, but we want to live for the glory of God, the good of others. And so I want to give you today three practices that will help you to win the war within, that will help you to overcome fear with faith, that will help you to, to overcome the flesh with the Spirit. Three things that will help us to win the war within. The first thing that every single one of us needs to do if we want to win the war Within the first thing I want to share with you today is the practice of fasting. The practice of fasting. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, when you hear the word fasting, immediately you start coming up with all of the reasons why that is not a good idea. All the reasons why you shouldn't fast. Things like burritos and ramen and tacos and donuts and all of these wonderful things. I know some of you are already getting up right now and you're heading to the refrigerator. And, uh, but the reality is that what you feed grows. And of course, we all have a physical appetite, but there is also a spiritual appetite. And, you know, ultimately the fall of Rome wasn't because of an external enemy, but it was because of internal uncontrolled appetites. Rome destroyed itself from within because they did not control their appetites, ultimately for money, for sex, for power, what the scripture calls the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so we, as we wage war between the flesh and the spirit, we have to make the decision of which one are we going to feed. Are we going to feed the flesh 
Are we going to run to things that may feel good in the moment? Maybe it's things that aren't bad. Maybe it's just food and comfort eating, or maybe it's uh, just mindlessly scrolling hours of Netflix. Maybe things that aren't bad, or maybe it is things that, that are harmful, abusing alcohol or perhaps pornography or other things that we can run to to gratify the flesh, but will ultimately bring death and destruction. The Bible tells us a story of David that when he was being chased by Saul, he went into a cave. And then the scripture says that that cave became a stronghold. You see, oftentimes what we run to for comfort can become a stronghold. What we run to for pleasure can become a prison. And it's through fasting that we, that we push down the desires of the flesh, that we learn to control the appetites of the flesh. And so I want to encourage you this week to make fasting a part of your weekly routine, to spend time in fasting. And, and I know that, you know, so oftentimes we think, well, I have to eat. Uh, physically, I have to eat. But Jesus reminds us that physical food isn't the only kind of food there is. There's also spiritual food. In fact, he said this when, the, when his disciples went out and were casting out demons. He said that there are some kinds that only come out through prayer and fasting. In other words, uh, through fasting, we don't grow weaker, we grow stronger. And so I believe that this should be a time that we, that, that we give ourselves to prayer and to fasting. There's nothing wrong with having some entertainment and some relaxation, but also that we are to develop that, that um, self-disciplined spirit. The scripture says this, that he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And so I want to encourage you to develop the practice of fasting. This week, uh, my Connect group and, and myself, all of us, we joined together on Wednesday and made it a, a day of fasting. Some fasted the whole day, some fasted till dinner, some fasted a meal. But I, I want to encourage you to make that a practice this week just to sow to the Spirit rather than the flesh. The second practice that I believe we need to do if we're to live not the way of Rome, not the way of the world, not the way of flesh, but the way of the Spirit, the second practice that we need to develop is the practice of serving. The practice of serving. Jesus said it this way, if anyone wants to be great, he must be the servant of all. Notice Jesus did not condemn people that wanted to be great. He, he didn't condemn them. He just redirected and redefined what it meant to be great. Because in our world, the idea of greatness is all about me. It's all about people serving me. I love the opening line of Rick Warren's best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. Here's the opening line. Are you ready? If you read nothing else in the book, this is a good start. Here's the opening line. It's not about you. It's not about you. That's true in all of life, and it's especially true at a time like this. But the reality is that there's part of me that wants it to be all about me. There, there's part of me that's, like I said, it's the flesh that wants the world to revolve around me. It's the part that gets upset when people don't do what I want them to do. It's the part that gets 
annoyed when somebody's taking too long in the checkout line. It's the part of me that gets annoyed if I have to wait uh, for my wife to get ready. And uh, don't look at me so pious this morning. I know you guys are all in the same boat. We all, uh, there's part of us that wants our will to be done on earth as it is in our head. Uh, I'm not proud to say that, but that is the reality. And, and, And Jesus takes that and redefines that desire to be great, that it's not when we make the world all about us, revolving around us, but it's when we begin to serve the needs of others. If you think about the original temptation in the garden was that if they ate the fruit, they would be like God. The irony of that is that they were already like God. They were image bearers of God, meant to reflect the likeness the nature, the glory of God into the world. But the one who ultimately the world does revolve around, Jesus, was radically other-centered. That's the nature of our God. He's not self-consuming. He's self-giving, serving others. At the cross, we see the greatest demonstration of serving that the world has ever seen as Jesus gave his life to serve mankind. So we are meant to reflect the glory of God. We're meant to shine the glory of God. It reminds me of a star. Sometimes we become like a star that has turned into a black hole. A black hole is simply a star that has turned inward. That's layman's terms. It's a star that's turned inward. And rather than reflecting and shining glory and light, it begins to consume And the fact is that we can become like that. That's true in all of life, but especially in moments like this, we can, rather than serving others, we can begin to look for ourselves to be served. And I I believe this is a time for us not to be served, but to serve others, to look for opportunities. This week, we've seen some amazing examples of that. Those of you who are in our church that are serving on the front lines as nurses and doctors and EMTs and firefighters and uh, that, that you are literally serving people in this crisis moment. What a beautiful picture of the, the, the nature of God. Uh, another thing I heard of this week was just incredible, a family in our church that many of you know, uh, taking in a, a beautiful foster child and a moment where it may feel like I, I don't want to serve anybody. I can't help anybody. I need, I need help myself. And the reality is that many of us are in that place. We do need help. But what a beautiful picture of turning greatness around rather than just being served, that we're going to serve others. And so I want to encourage you this week to look for opportunities to serve. Maybe you're not uh, in the medical field, on the front lines. Maybe you can't be a, a foster parent but every one of us can serve in our home. Maybe it's as simple as just cleaning off the dishes off of the table. I'm talking to myself. Maybe it's as simple as just helping with the projects around the house that need to be done. And just rather than turning inward, we want to turn outward. We want to serve other people because we're not living the way of Rome. We want to live the way of Jesus. We have an opportunity starting next week for all of us to serve, and that's through what we're calling Alpha Online. Most of you are familiar with Alpha. Alpha is just about creating a space where people can ask questions about life and faith and meaning, where they can explore big topics that they may not have any other place to do that. And so we're going to be 
uh, offering Alpha in a digital environment online because there's so many people at this time that have questions. And so this week on Wednesday night, we have a Alpha online team meeting. And, and perhaps you aren't serving on the front lines in the medical field. Maybe you can't be a foster parent but maybe you can serve at home. Maybe you can serve on the Alpha team. But I want to encourage you to develop the practice of serving. So number one, we want to develop the practice of, of fasting. We want to develop the practice of serving. And the third thing I want to share with you today as we think about what it looks like to live the way of Jesus is that we develop the practice of giving or the practice of generosity. Again, this week we're celebrating the greatest demonstration of generosity that's ever been made, the, the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. But the reality is that uh, behind everything that God does, there is always a spirit of generosity. We read this story about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But have you ever stopped to think about who were the people with the donkey? Who were the people that gave the cult to Jesus. We don't know much about them. All we know is that they had a cult and we know that they were generous. But it was through their generosity that ultimately the Old Testament prophecy regarding how the Messiah would come could be fulfilled. It wasn't just a donkey. It was something of eternal significance. And I believe that's true in everything that God does. In the background, there's always a spirit of generosity. And I want to say thank you to all of you that are giving so generously, that are supporting the ministry of the church so generously through your tithes and offerings. And of course, this is a moment that we as a church don't want to draw back. We don't want to be weak. We don't want to just shut down during this season. We want to continue to press forward. It's through your generosity that we're able to do that. But we want to look for ways to be generous, not just in our tithes and offerings, but even over and above that. Maybe you have a, a spare room in your house, and this is a moment that you could open up that spare room. Maybe you, have a, uh, maybe you have some furniture that you don't need and you could give away. Maybe while you're at home, this is a time, maybe, maybe your, in, your income has decreased, but maybe you can actually become more diligent about your budget. Maybe you can become more mindful about the things that you have that you don't really need, ultimately so that you can become more generous. And here's what I want you to know about generosity is that generosity is the greatest investment you'll ever make. We've seen over the recent weeks the economy up and down and stocks plummeting and so much uncertainty. But Jesus says it this way, that we're not to lay up treasures on earth. There's nothing wrong, of course, with being wise with our finances, but ultimately, he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, uh, moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And, and I want to encourage you at this time, if there's ever been a time to be generous, now is the moment when other people are pulling back in fear. We want to we step forward in faith. When others zig towards selfishness, we want to zag towards generosity. We want to be people who are generous, who are investing for eternity. It's, it's been said that what you give, you can never lose. The reality is that everything that we have materially, ultimately, we will lose. The only thing that you cannot lose is what you give. 
Jesus said it this way, my life no one takes from me, I freely give it. In other words, what you give cannot be taken, but what you hold on to, ultimately you will lose. And so I want to encourage you to practice generosity, ultimately because we don't want to be people that live the way of Rome, the way of selfishness, the way of, uh, of serving ourselves and controlling others. We want to live the way of Jesus, the way that ultimately does not produce death, but produces eternal life. As we prepare to close, I, I want to share with you words that Jesus mentioned and that Luke records in his story of the triumphal entry. Mark doesn't record it in the passage that we've read. But Jesus, as he's riding into Jerusalem, he's weeping over Jerusalem. And he says this, Jerusalem, you've missed the things that make for your peace. You are looking for the Messiah to come as a king riding on a horse, but you've missed it because he came as a servant riding on a donkey. He goes on to say, you've missed the time of your visitation. And what I want to ask you today is perhaps, although we're in a crisis, perhaps this is not just a crisis, perhaps it's an opportunity for visitation. Perhaps this is a moment for us as the people of God to, to take a, an evaluation and an inventory of our hearts and see, are we really living the way of Jesus? Are we living the way of self, the way of flesh? And I want to encourage every single one of you this week just to be intentional Let's not miss the moment of visitation. Let's not miss what God wants to do. I believe that God may be preparing our world for a fresh visitation, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to pray for you, and then we're going to go into a time of communion. So I want to ask you wherever you're at, if you would just bow your heads, close your eyes. I know we're connecting digitally, but I want to ask you, if you would, just to connect your spirit your heart, your mind in faith today. And Lord, we thank you for the wonderful news of the gospel. God, we thank you, Lord, that you came. Lord, not in the way of military might, not in the way of external strength, but God, you came, Lord, as a, a servant. Thank you, God, that you came to serve us. You came to help us. You came as a, a lifeline thrown from the Father to us. Lord, you're, the scripture says that when we were without strength, you died for us. Thank you, you came to serve us. Thank you, God, that you came to sacrifice for us. You are the lamb that was slain. We thank you for that today. And God, we thank you that you came weeping, identifying with the brokenness of humanity. But Father, we thank you, Lord, that even as we look towards next week, God, we thank you that Easter is coming. God, we thank you that your death was not permanent, but today, Jesus, you rule and reign. Your name is above every other name. And so, Father, we pray today that our hearts would turn from the flesh, turn from the, the way of the world and turn towards Jesus, we pray. I pray, God, that you would give a fresh reminder of your grace and of your goodness to every single one of us today. In Jesus' name. We're going to take a moment right now just to receive communion together. 
And I know this is different than what we're used to, but I believe that even as we celebrate this significant moment, that it's important for us to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. So I want to encourage you to grab some bread or cracker, whatever you have. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is the the bread. This bread symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. I'm so thankful today for the, the body of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that his body was broken so that we could have wholeness. Perhaps you feel broken today. Perhaps you feel broken in your heart. Perhaps you have a broken heart today. I'm glad to tell you that there is healing. There's wholeness. Perhaps you're broken in your body. There's healing in the name of Jesus. So we're going to receive the bread in just a moment. The Bible says that on that night, Jesus also took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant that's in my blood. The old covenant was about works. It was about man's effort. But the new covenant wasn't dependent on man. It was finalized in the blood of Jesus. The scripture says that it's a better covenant. And I'm so glad to tell you today that regardless of the ups and downs of life, that the covenant of grace, the covenant of love that we have with God is is sealed in the blood of Jesus. We're going to sing a song in just a moment that speaks about the blood of Jesus. What a, what a wonderful declaration, the blood of Jesus that washes us of sin. And so I want to pray with you, and then I'm going to invite you to receive communion as we receive this song and, and celebrate this song together. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken so that we could be whole. We thank you for your blood that was shed so that we could be forgiven. And Father, today we pray, Lord, even as we are spread out physically, God, we pray that there would be a unity in the spirit today. Lord, I pray for those that feel broken, brokenhearted today, broken perhaps with anxiety and fear. God, I pray that you would bring wholeness to their mind, wholeness to their hearts today, wholeness in relationships, God. Lord, I I thank you for your blood today that was shed on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, that regardless of what circumstances we may face in this life, Father, thank you that our eternity is secure with you. And so as we eat and as we drink today, Father, we bless this bread, we bless this cup, and we give you thanks for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you receive the bread and the cup there at home, Let's enjoy this song and let's worship the Lord.